The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix podcast. Tune in today. Nakoto Katoa, no my hare mai ki dietary requirements. We're the spin offs food podcast, and each month we get together to eat and drink delicious things and chat with the buzziest people in New Zealand food. This month we are on the first field trip for the year, and we are recording from the brand new Hyderabad, Hyderabad Hotel, the collaboration between Sacha's Semi Akutota. Close? We'll go with it. And Garage Projects. And Garage Project. I'm your host, Simon Day. And as always, I'm joined by the spin-off's food editor, Alice Neville. Kia ora. And leading hospitality tycoon, Sophie Gilmore. <laughs> Kia ora, Simon. Thanks for that. Before we go any further, I'd like to give some love to our sponsors because we wouldn't be here without them. Freedom Farms makes all the spin-off's food coverage possible, and that includes us at Dietary Requirements. Freedom Farms believes that everyone who eats meat has a responsibility to know how those animals have been raised, and they're dedicated to providing you with the best pork and free-range eggs possible. They're also dedicated to the spin-off's unique coverage of the New Zealand food scene, so so show your gratitude, buy their beautiful products, and if your supermarket doesn't have them, request them. So we're really excited today to be joined by two of the New Zealand's New Zealand food scene's most humble and innovative personalities, and they're the minds behind the Hyderabad Hotel, Sammy and Garage Project's co-founder, Joss Ruffle. Thank you both for being here and joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. I guess the first thing I'd like to know is what inspired the collaboration, whose idea was it, and what are you trying to achieve? I think... um like any any good collaboration, it, it started with conversations over drinks quite a while ago, and we've we've worked on a number of projects together now, number of events. Um, this specific concept, I think it, it started in one place, and then over the course of a few months, it's ended up into something quite different, and that's the beauty of collaboration. You know, each side brings something new to the table. What is the Hyderabad Hotel? Um, so I guess kind of like Joss was saying. Um, Dad was in Hyderabad uh, when this happened, and uh, I guess kind of you came up with the name, right, Joss? And um, so uh, Dad was looking at a few hotels um, and just kind of that industry and what was it, what it was about, and um, uh, the name was kind of born then, and just um, 
Joss was like Hyderabad Hotel, and um, we just ha- yeah. I mean Hyderabad Hotel. It's um, it's a it's a pop up space. It's it's here for a short time, not a long time, and it's really a fusion of what we're doing with our beer and wine and such as um, brilliance around cocktails and food and hospitality. Um, I guess the idea was we'd bring something into this this great space that uh, Sammy and his dad have here uh, over summer um, and and just have a lot of fun with it. When did you open? 12th. 12th. Of February. Oh, right. Mm. So yeah. very new. So um, week three now. But yeah, we're really inspired by... Um, I guess if you look at in America, around the world, there's sort of almost like a taking over of some of those old rundown motels. Mm. I guess we've had it with Sherwood down in Queenstown, like this sort of idea of, of sort of injecting some new life and energy into those old spaces. And um, we were we were planning this site, we we're planning this this together. And yeah, Sammy's dad was in India um, in Hyderabad. Um, family's from, so it was like Hyderabad Hotel. And it, and it feels like a very South Indian day today. It's hot and sweaty. There's a rickety aircon uh, machine blowing through the Satya office space where we're recording from now. What? And we've just eaten some beautiful uh, South Indian food. Can you tell me about the menu and the inspiration behind that? Because it is, it's different to the chai lounges and it's different to your um, parents' food as well. Yeah, so... Um we wanted the food to be really different um, as well. And I guess that's, um, it's been actually really fun making, making the menu. Um, a lot of the food, what we, I always like to do is um, things, what I remember from India to be just really, um, they're not, um, not necessarily things they're like, it's not high end food, but it's just like um, what I call Indian soul food. Um, it's just, it's just deeply satisfying and it's made for, um, I guess in a way, in a proper Indian palette or just, or what I remember to be as close to as like a, um, the, the palette what's back home. Um, so we have Hyderabad is really known for their biryani. Um, you get biryani from all over India, different variations of it. Um, and so we've, it's our take on Hyderabadi biryani. Um, you've also had a dish, which you don't really find often, which is the pav bhaji, uh, which is like Indian style sloppy joes. Um, you have fried crusty bread and um, a veggie potato spicy kind of curry, which you just load onto it. Um, Papadi chaat, uh, we wanted to change up the daipuri a little bit. So Papadi chaat, even though it originates in Rajasthan, North India, um, every single street food vendor has their own kind of take on it. Um, the way they make their chutneys, the way they make um, the yogurt with higher acidity or more creaminess. So it's just basically um, water and the food in Hyderabad and trying to get it as close, well, kind of, my favorite tree food vendors and how they do it and representing it here. Everything seems to have a lovely big lump of ghee melting through it. Is that quite a Hyderabad thing? I think that is general all over yeah. um, all over India. Um, but I, I, so if you go further south from Hyderabad, rather than ghee, they use a lot of coconut, fat, like mm, the coconut oil, oil. Mm. and because that's just more readily available there. Um, and then ghee is traditionally used in um, in cooking and also like Ayurvedic principles. Um, they use ghee for health benefits since yonks um but the further north you go the the fat here and the richer the food gets because mm-hmm. it's um it gets really cold and just like in other pla- in other parts of the world as well down south where it's really hot um the food's spicier 
um, it's lighter to kind of help you sweat and cool off. Mm-hmm. And up north where it's cooler, it's a lot more fatty and rich to mm-hmm. kind of help you feel See, I never warmer. knew that relationship between spicy food being designed to help you cool down. Mm. It helps you sweat. So, yeah, and, and sweating cools you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Genius. Uh, well, it's the same. Like, uh, I find that like the closest, like, um, where it's super similar to that is in Italy, like North, North Italian food versus uh, South Italian food. Um, maybe not necessarily spice, but like how it's lighter and up north, more fatty and like creamy and richer. Mm, yeah. And you find that like in a lot of like in a lot of countries as well that similarity, but that's super super clear in um, in India for sure. And I love that way when you travel through India. You slowly the bread just suddenly morphs a little bit and you can see the different cultural um, manifestations of the unique parts of the country and the different religious influences and the different climatic influences. I think it's my favourite place to slowly move through and see the food change. It's, it's so much fun. And it's actually like within the city as well, you have um, a, a lot of, uh, in Hyderabad, um, you have a huge um, uh, Muslim population. Um, before India was India, you had the Mughal Empire, which had like lots of kingdoms all through India, and Hyderabad was a base. Um, and so uh, in Charminar, where a lot of the, um, I guess, the, the arch, the, the, the arches we're using in Hyderabad Hotel, um, is the inspirations from that kind of architecture. Um, and over there you have a lot of the Muslim population still present there mm-hmm. and um, where you get really contrasting food to the rest of Hyderabad. So you got a massive Muslim population and massive Hindu population and just stark contrast in the food and the culture and just becomes an amazing yeah. melting pot of um, uh, just people just playing around with the flavors from a pure vegetarian Hindu um, style eating to um, what the, the like Charminar side has to offer as well. So um, very meat dominant versus very veggie dominant. And it just kind of all clashes together and you get, well, basically what's Hyderabad, Hyderabad uh, food, which is, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, we're really lucky to have that. We don't really get that in many places in India. Delhi is another place where you can kind of find that. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's yeah, really yum. And, and down south being spicier, just it has a lot more punchy flavors as well. We had um, loads of Indian boys working with us at Bidonawai and they would not tell their parents that they were eating chicken because they were from like, well, I'm thinking of three that were all related, but from a vegetarian part of India, and their parents would be mortified, and they just mm-hmm. all day handling chicken, mm-hmm. and then just one day started eating it. I was like, I won't tell. <laughs> um, so I was born a vegetarian, and yeah. I was a uh, vegetarian until I came to New Zealand, and I discovered bacon. Yeah. And, uh, many a vegetarian. And, uh, That's the gateway drug, isn't yeah, it? Bacon. Was, um, yeah. A lot of, a lot of um, Jewish people secretly eat bacon. But don't eat pork, otherwise, you know. It's, um, There's something about yeah. it. Uh, but then, um, like, actually, mum, she's never eaten meat in her life. Um, she does, like she even considers egg to be like meat. Um, yeah. A lot, lot of Indians consider um, mm. egg to be like you know, not vegetarian. And but she can still cook amazing, amazing meat dishes, which is uh, just wow, yeah, wow. amazing. Yeah. Hey, Southwest. you guys mentioned you're going to have a calendar of events here. Are they food related and beer related events? 
I mean, it's it's across the board. So um, today we we have the um, the sour beer slushies on through the weekend. This is delicious. Yeah, can you talk yeah. us through this, through this delicious slushy? Beer slushies. So we we have two slushies on. Uh, these are these are made from base sour beer from our wild workshop barrel site in Wellington, um, and then blended with few, um, fruit purees and spices, and then churned up on the bar. So um, is this watermelon? So this is uh, watermelon, tomato, um, sour beer, and chut, chut masala. Chut masala slice. We've got it's so good. And it's so good. Alice arranged for us to have a slushy machine in the office earlier in the year. I did. It was terrible. It was. It was. It made so much noise, and it tastes like shit. Ungrateful. It was after um, Simon Bridges' slushies outburst in Parliament. Oh, so, can, you, um, can you just jog my memory on that? Um, uh, slushies. There's a lot of stories. Slushies. slushies! Why just, is he doing well, that? You need. Where have you been, mate? Because he was putting the Labour government put slushy machines in uh, prisons. In the prisons to cool really down hot. the prison guards who were wearing very heavy. Right. Right. Uh, stab-proof vests. So Simon Bridges called them out on spending a million dollars on slushy machines. I like that. And then and you responded by slushies. installing a slushy machine Yeah, so in your I did office. a story about slushies. Mm. And then Toby Manhire, I think we split the cost of the slushy machine between the food section and the politics section. Yeah, nice. And so That's he, they, Great joint venture They drank the slushies on the politics podcast. You, you digress, uh, but um, I think Calvin Davis needs to get in touch because this is completely different. Well, this, it's to um, what we had, you know, uh, it's a, that it's, week. it's a sour beer base, so it's only three percent. It's probably packed full of electrolytes and uh, other hydrating healthy. properties. Yeah, I didn't think of the alcohol, but, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, uh, we lit up prison guards. We've we've, we've played around beer. with um, beer slushies over the years, and, and the sour beer base is great with fruit. Mm, so it's sort of so good. You know, it gives you a good underlying acidity and then the fruit comes in. And I wouldn't actually have guessed that it had the sour beer base in it. It feels like it's its own category of drink. Yeah. Mm. And Great. with Sammy doing his new sort of manifestation of, of his love for food, what does Hyderabad Hotel represent for garage projects, sort of innovation, and what are you going to be trying that's different yeah. to normal? We just love playing with spice and ingredients. So... Um, you know, it's uh, any time we can collaborate with with a chef, or a food producer. Um, it's just a wealth of ideas and inspiration for us. And so, um, you know, we we collaborated with Sammy on the the biryani. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you for indulging me on that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely love the pun. Yeah, um, we try avoid um, beer pun names like the plague. Um, but yeah. sometimes they come across like one. Sometimes they so come tempted. along. They're so good. You've got to go with it. So. Yeah, it and was again perfect for <laughs> both the the idea that you're running next door in the summer that we're having in Auckland. It's just such a crisp, refreshing beer. Absolutely, and we, it goes so well with that quite yeah. spicy yeah. Uh, biryani. We uh, we have hedged our bets as well, and and have a rebrew of our bang tandi coming through, which is a, a, a spice milk stout. Oh, uh, I remember no. that was at Gabs. Couple of years ago, yep, yep. yeah, and that's that's yeah. a fascinating drink. That's a uh, fascinating on, drink. Yeah, mm. so a oh, huge amount of ingredients in it. I'm not going to try and remember them all. Um, mugs, mug, the, the watermelon seeds. Yeah, uh, muggers, char muggers, char muggers. Yeah, uh, and that's from Bang, traditionally brewed with um, cannabis or um, in in India. So we we've brewed that with hemp as well. Mm. So okay. that's one of the first um, beers we. Well, it is the first beer we brewed with hemp. Um, a few years ago, 
when we released it at a festival in Australia, it wasn't technically legal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we had disclaimers saying that it was for your camel because we had the silk That's road That's right. Thing. It has to be for animal. animal. It's changed now, right? But it It's has changed. To be it was animals. right on the cusp, yeah, but yeah. you could... You could buy, you know, the hemp protein. You could buy all these things. But all the people who are selling them were saying, you know, it's for your pits or yeah. for your horse. <laughs> you had to sign a sort of disclaimer saying that, you know. Because everyone um, in downtown Melbourne owns a horse. Yeah. <laughs> or a camel. And they want cl- a clean protein source from hemp for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. And how do your wines fit in? Is that, I mean, your wines are obviously pretty out there in a good way. Yeah. How does that go with pairing it with Indian food? Is it is it as natural a fit as it is with beer? I throw it back to Sammy, but I think um, you know all of our wines we like to serve chilled, mm-hmm. even the reds and the rosés. Um, you know we haven't done any specific spice blends or any yeah. additions. They're just there to be a great accompaniment. Um, you know they're wild ferment, organic fruit, mm-hmm. lower alcohol, higher acidity. Um, so it should be a really nice contrast for all the all the great food yeah, and spice. Yeah, I can imagine it working well because they're yeah. a bit like sour beers in that sense that they work really well with food. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, I mean, the worst thing you could be served today is, uh, you know, a pinot that's been sitting out and it's going to hit your glass in yeah. like the mid-teen degrees and, yeah. you know, you're going to get those massive alcohol hits off it, just, you know, vaporizing off it and, um, you know, cool, crisp, chilled wine white red and rosé i think sounds good to me and what about food stuff are you doing any events to show people the food how you make it what you do or is it a taste Um, it and see for yourself no so uh we do have um spice blending master classes held by swami my dad um so that's available at any time through the canteen just come and make a booking and um dad teaches you how to blend spices and kind of shows you everything about that, which is super cool. We already learned heaps about spices from your dad, who's just parked up in the entry space at the moment, which is so cool. A few minutes ago. Yeah, no, he's just so passionate about it. Keep your spice blends in the fridge. I think it's such a genius idea. So he's selected really great spices. He's toasted them perfectly, and he's put them in spice grinders, which are obviously airtight. Mm -hmm. But the pepper grinder he says also to keep in your fridge so if you he ground it in front of us and said you know smell the toasted cumin yeah and it's got this like really fragrant aromatic smell to it that is basically not comparable to the flat i guess ground cumin that you already buy in the supermarket Mm -hmm. and he's done blends as well so you can do like masala Mm. he said you know this is we've labeled this chicken masala but it's actually really good with lamb, really good with well, So, fish. like, a, a masala is a, a, a... Like, any anything more than two spices mixed together is, is a, a masala. masala. Yeah. So, and in India, there's, like, a million trillion combinations because every single family has mm. their own masala blend for um, anything anything you do. Um, and then Dad goes to the farms where the spices are grown. He actually sees how they're grown and then we import it ourselves. And so it's just like, um, just for Indian food, if you just buy spices with no flavor in them, it's just like, it's just I guess as with any food, but the Western culture has totally somehow overseen that and just uses shitty spices. It's like using shitty ingredients and anything else that just makes the end product worse, right? Where should we be getting our spices? I would say center room shops. Yeah. yeah. It's just because the turnover is so high. It's just fresh. fresh ingredients coming through all the time. 
but then the only thing is those spices are raw. So you have a source of good spices, but then you kind of know Post how to treat properly. yeah mm. yeah treat them properly and then um, use them appropriately. Don't buy bulk; just buy fresh whenever mm. you need to. Yeah, I've always bought whole cumin and toasted and ground it, but recently I got sent some ground cumin at work, so I thought oh, I may as well use it and just put it in a dish. And I was like, I can't even taste it; it's oh. so different. So it's, you're better off kind of um, holding the raw cumin yeah. in your fridge or freezer. So yeah, all yeah. the like the flavoroids, the oils, which kind of give you that flavor, just stay trapped in yeah. there. And the roasting just a little bit and then grinding it fresh yeah. and then using it. Yeah, that's what I've been doing. I did not know to keep it in the fridge or freezer, though. So that's interesting. Hmm. I shall. Do you have any Indian food heroes? Like I know um, I my mum had the uh, Mata Jaffrey is it called Introduction to Indian Cooking, which is like the original Indian chef or cook that took Indian food to the world, and I make her um, lamb leg a lot, and that was the first time I learned to make a masala from scratch, and at cooking school, um, they made us do it with spices that had already been toasted and ground, and do it next to one where we had done it ourselves, and it was like embarrassing that you could ever imagine that without doing it yourself, it would be nearly as good? Um, it sounds really cliche, but mum is going to be hero? my, my food hero. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's just like, it's, and that's why they say like mum's cooking or grandma's cooking. Totally. In, in India. Um, because, and so mum's got two very different styles, right? When she has no energy and no patience to cook for the family because she's just knackered from being at the restaurant all day yeah that's when she shines she just puts together this amazingly tasty food where it's just she's not worried about nutrition she's not worried about anything else and it just tastes banging yeah Yeah. but when mom has too much time she worries about nutrition she worries about making sure that the family's got like everything everything's balanced yeah and and it's like it's good but it's not as good as when uh, it's just like just thrown together but like um i just kind of watch her um when she's cooking and just there is there is no recipes it's just like it just she picks up what she thinks kind of feels right and and throws it and um that's one of the biggest things i've learned from mum, and which i tell my chefs is um Food is it's just like such a feeling, and yeah. um, it's not like, especially for Indian food, it's not recipe based, right? If it's cooler, you're going to use um, heavier spices. If it's um, summery, um, you're going to use kind of lighter spices, and it's just things like even like salt. The, the salt is not the same salt you use every day. Some salts are saltier than other salts, and yeah. it's just like it's just such a feeling behind it, and it's just so important to kind of mum always just kind of keeps tasting as she goes along, and just like. And then adds, uh, just tosses it in. Can it's you not get even her measured. Can do like a biryani demo? And we'll all come and watch. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, please. Yep, that would sure. be fucking awesome. Yep. I was obsessed with it. That's what I was talking about before. Um, that Chef's Table episode with the Darjeeling Express, Express is a restaurant that's in Kingley Court in London. But they their like, hero is biryani. And they just really focused on it for this whole episode. Like the layering and waiting for it to... It just looked amazing. If you can um, do that, we'll just bring, we'll, we'll sell all the tickets you need. Um, and but then internationally, um, someone always wanted to check out was um, uh, well, Gagan in Bangkok. Yes. Oh yeah. Um, and it was so I, the style of eating I like is just close your eyes and um, just see what it 
does um, in your mouth, yeah. right? Gagan was such a mindfuck because um, it was all these flavors I'm so familiar from childhood, yeah. but texturally and how he composed the dishes just really messed with your core understanding yeah. of what Indian food was. And That's it what was chefs do when they're indulged, you know? Insane. <laughs> like, it was just like, just I was just like, holy shit. Like, uh, yeah. So, in a good way? Yeah, no, it was just like, just I, mean, I, I, I would eat flavors and the texture would be completely opposite to what I would Im- like imagine imagine yeah. that to be. Yeah, so that was, yeah, He real, seems like really a pretty cool. interesting dude. Yeah, and again, like in Bangkok, out of... Um, of all just, places. Yeah, yeah, all places, just down this little alleyway, like, yeah, alleyway. Yeah, um, oh, that's cool that you went. So six new slushies have arrived. Ooh. What have we got? So this is the, the mango raspberry um, cardamom. Um, slushy with the, the sour base beer. So that oh, beautiful relationship between Indian food and beer, I feel like it was born in the UK probably. Or is there a beer food culture in India itself? Um, I, so I'm going to bag a little bit on like the mainstream Indian beer. Like the Kingfisher in India tastes horrible. <laughs> but the Kingfisher here in Australia and New Zealand, it's it's actually not that bad. It's, it's actually decent. And it works really well because it's, it actually tastes clean and it's refreshing. You serve it like as cold as you can. Um, it does its job. But then um, beer and Indian food just go really well together. And that's yeah. why I've been a massive um, fanboy of Garage Project. Um, because it's like full flavor beers with spicy food. Do you sell Kingfisher? We do. Out of yeah, I was ob- going to say, it must be kind of funny because it's like, I'm sure you feel obliged to do that, but well, then you kind of trade it up as well. But nice to have it both, I guess. Yeah, no, so it took um, it took Dad ages to um, understand the value of uh, beer made with love. So rather than calling it craft beer, yes. um, it, he, he was just like, when like, in Sandringham, when I was started kind of selling beers for $20 a pop, yeah. Dad was like, you're crazy. You've lost the plot. Yeah. <laughs> it's like didn't gonna... they go away on holiday? You uh, yeah, that's uh, pretty much. Yeah. How, how, how he comes back and he's like, Don't no, ask you for really like ask Tell, for tell us the story of how you snuck uh, the opening of that first joint up behind your parents' back. Um, so, we've been in San, we were the first Indian restaurant in Sandringham. Really? Um, and wow. then before that, the only other Indian place was Kyber Spice Traders, mm-hmm. right across the road. Mm-hmm. And. Um, it was a it's, it's a massive space, and at the very back, Dad had his little spice shop. So um, I hijacked his spice shop, and um, while he was on holiday, while he was on holiday, and um, I set up. up I love drinking beer, um, and so I was like, set up a double door scope fridge and filled it with uh, the beer I wanted to drink, and um, set up a little kind of a shack, what you'd find on the streets of India called Dabas, and. Um, Paired some of my favorite street food with beer, and that's how kind of Chai Lounge was born. Um, and when they came back, they kind of saw what happened, and then ever since then, they've been kind of supporting me off um, the journey of that. But initially, indulging you? Yeah, well, they, they did really indulge me at the very start. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fun. It's just, um, and it's also a reflection of um, me growing up in New Zealand and just kind of um, smushing two things yeah. together your dad's massively supported 
the Hyderabad Hotel pop up because uh, we we can see across the way from us there's this beautiful old antique um, uh, swing chair, and all all, the, all through the the hotel there, there's beautiful antiques that um, Sammy's dad has just generously allowed us to awesome. to put out there, which is, I think is a bit nerve wracking. It's probably quite reinvigorating <laughs> for them as well. I mean, it's cool to see things happening, and unless you're asking them to put shitloads of cash on the line. Uh, but I'm Indian, so I can't ever <laughs> ask them to That's do that. That's not a that. thing. <laughs> it's just like, always find the smartest solution about how you go about things. Yeah. And again, it's just like, um, we're a migrant family, and you, you can't pay people millions of dollars to do yeah. fit out, so you find innovative ways of uh, getting what you need done. Yeah. I remember, I think I actually met you, I came in with Richard from Batchwell um, to Gigi Flamingo when you first opened, and I was like, how long did this take? How much did this cost? Like, it was buzzing me out, and you were like, about five minutes, about five bucks. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. You know, it's almost compulsory at the moment when I'm speaking to restaurants about fit-outs and what they cost. It's like, there will be no change from $250,000. Like, yeah. once you've got your council consents, your licence, your registration, then all the compulsory stuff, you know, you might have 10 bucks to make the place look nice, and you've still spent... 200 grand it's mental it is it's um, like at xx festival that was one of the things i was speaking about was mm. just like uh, it's just so heartbreaking to see young adults get into the industry not knowing what they're doing getting everything on tick and not even surviving we did that year. at bird on a wire silver chef and at one point i think that like more than the profits that we would make of that week were going to silver chef to pay off our equipment and our equipment wasn't mm. even like Brand new, it was Don't, like secondhand yeah. stuff. Just, yeah. You just, you just need can't to, do yeah, it. no, just like be patient and just watch out for where you get things from. And yeah, yeah it's um, and I guess you, you'll never find that out unless I guess you go through it unless once. You suck it yeah, up. yeah, anyway. But it was just like I think that's um, I, I think more and more often you're getting um, restaurateurs kind of helping out those young kids who are getting into the industry yeah. where the, the people are sharing information, people are sharing. Um, tips on what to do right and wrong um and yeah don't you think also that creative people you know like you have been forced to be creative but you're obviously the right person to thrive in that environment so actually what we end up with as the consumer is way cooler than what we would have ended up with if someone had thrown a million bucks at you and gone do whatever you want Sammy. so yeah i think it always becomes a lot more personal right oh no for sure Uh, i guess um i've also been really privileged with mum and dad um i guess kind of doing it and i've been helping out in the restaurant so i've seen all the rights and wrongs from a young young age so it's just like if i was thrown into it at later stage of my life with no experience i would have made the same mistakes but then um it's experiences is the thing and uh, and if the only way you can get experience is going through it yourself or speaking to someone else who's got more experience than you so your elders in your same industry or your community and it's just so important to just just speak with someone who you kind of share the same mentality with and have yarns with them and see if they have any tips for you and yeah that's that's it yeah definitely sharpens your focus if you build it yourself as well and you've you've actually got you know you've seen it all happen i mean yeah you know back in the day for the brewery um you know we spent months cleaning and scrubbing and doing what we could to get cheap rent the first year. Yeah. Because um, I know the know. website describes not as a microbrew, but a nanobrewery. Garage Project came from 
<laughs> you know, you, there's similar stories. You know, it's a very different experiences. But yeah, you know, you're you're so independent. You've done it all on your own, and you know, you've had people invest in what they think is a really cool idea. But mm. it's um, you had to start somewhere, well, and, and you've retained yeah. that personality. Yeah, our original brew house was um, smaller than my couch that was in the corner of the brewery at the time <laughs> when we started. It always gives me still kind of goosebumps just every time I open a bottle of uh, beer to garage. It was just like, yeah. it was, and it's still really cool to see that um, coming through. What yeah. was the first ever beer you guys made? Like, which was the very, very, very first beer that um, we didn't actually release um, um, from memory was was just a straight golden ale that we brewed to, to sort of just run through the system and actually test it. And also at the time, we were so strapped for cash just to have something mm. that we could actually drink ourselves. Yeah, we were so thirsty, you know, all that hard work. Um, you know, because we, we started under the 24-24, so it was brewing 50 litres at a time, 24 beers in 24 weeks. And, um, you know, Pete had come in from a much larger um, um, brewing background. He worked at all sorts of breweries, but his, his last brew before that was a craft brewery in Australia, but it was uh, a lion-owned faux craft brand, the mm. James Squire. Um, and you know when you're brewing 50 liters, we the first first beers, and he's taking off his samples for testing, and and then he sort of went to rack them into the kegs. He's like, like where's it all gone? Yeah, like, something left. Can't uh, can't sort of run the same test. He used to used to be um, on the much larger systems he was working with. So it actually took um, I think at the very end of um, the, t- the 24, uh, it was a friend's very good friend's wedding, and we had a keg of pernicious weed, a little 20 litre keg that we took up to the wedding and that was the first time I actually, let's say, got proper drunk on, on our own beer <laughs> because all, the way, through, all the way through 24, we would, you know, the two kegs were going to this one bar, Hashigozaki and, you know, <laughs> we you know, needed every every pint was precious for as many people as possible to try and it yeah, took about yeah. six months before we had enough beer that we could actually sit down and That's awesome! How different did that pernicious weed taste to the one I drink now. Um, I mean, the recipe has stayed the same. You know, the the batch size has increased significantly. The amount of hops going into it, pound for pound's the same. Um, you know, um, I think if I brought up a photo of it, you'd look at it. And that was see. our like slightly outside the box beer on the um, on the list when we first went into Ponsonby Central, and I remember it would go either way. People would taste it, and they'd either absolutely love it or they'd freak out and be like, "What is this?" <laughs> Well, it's very easy to make a beer that offends nobody. So yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah, and you want to do something. That's yeah, but you know, I think be it food, beer, wine, you you have to have a point of difference, and it's good to have something that's polarizing because people won't like it, but the people who do absolutely love it. The they, shit they, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. much better, I think, to have people who raving are fans. raving and passionate than to put something that's so middle of the road, no one cares either totally, way. Hi, I'm Leonie. I'm Alex. And along with our friend Michelle A. Court, we bring you On The Rag every month, which you can find at thespinoff.co.nz and on all good podcast providers. Once a month, we get together in the Spinoff studio to reflect on the previous month of news, media, current events, and just life for women in New Zealand. It's a feminist podcast. It's a shrill podcast. <laughs> and we'd love it if you listened. Hey, I've got a question for you. 
question about um, Hyderabad in the 70s. So I read that this is the inspiration is about that particular time. Can you mm -hmm. just run us through why that was like the coolest place at that moment? Well, Hyderabad is the coolest place because that's where I come from. Obviously. <laughs> so, um, no, uh, so I guess this was this is where the collab kind of um, happened, and we were wanting to do do something a little bit different. And um, I also wanted to do the food, which was proper Indian, and just doing something from, I guess, putting a stamp on it, especially with the color palette and everything, which Garage Project helped create. Yeah. Um, and it the just, color palette's orange and like marigold almost. So I was really against the marigold. And oh, the, I love it! Really? I, because I, I grew up with it and it's super cheesy for me, right? Yeah, yeah. And then um, Rob from uh, GP was just like, we're doing marigolds. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it is I, I, like the, everything put together. I think it is absolutely really stunning. It's just wicked, yeah. still, it makes me feel nostalgic. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the main thing was just to have fun with it. Because if we're having fun, hopefully that'll come across mm. to everyone. And so. Um, you know, referencing those, yeah, like those those revivalists, like taking over old hotel spaces or old motels. Yeah. It was sort of like let's let's make this, um, you know, the, the greatest sort of lobby bar from the seventies that you you never got to mm. go to. Yeah, that's the, kind of what it the, um, feels like. You know, it? the the elevators in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Um, the <laughs> it's pool the pool is closed the, for maintenance. Yeah. You know, it's just all a bit ridiculous as well. The social yeah. media is so fun with all the like, come along this weekend. The pool is still closed for maintenance. Like, it's just fun. Yeah, yeah. such a good idea. So we've got a great space, uh, and um, over the next next several weeks, it's just uh, ongoing evolution of it. I've got all these interesting events for the beer and the food, um, all the fun things happening with um, music. And yeah, we just, I don't know, it's just, you sort of build a little playground and now we get to get to. Are you sure you can't it. stay around for a little bit longer or forever? It's, <laughs> it is honestly, like, it feels like something this corner of the city is missing, especially since Golden, uh, Golden Dawn oh, disappeared. Yeah. Um, it's just so much fun, yeah. like you said. It's a it's a really good time. So our, our license ends on the twenty second of March. Yep. So that's it currently. So hurry um, up, people! Get here quickly. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know we we have had a great response, and we're having a lot of fun. So I think we'll explore whether we can keep it going a little longer. Um, Do it. But you know that's um, you know there's definitely some challenges ahead of us on that front. But we'll. We'll do what we can. Is it frustrating sometimes trying to, you know, jump through the loopholes required to put on a, a wonderful space like this? Do you think the restrictions from a local government level are too tight? I think, um, I think special licenses can be, can be great for, for pop-up events, um, but they're certainly not really designed for long, long events and I think that's where a challenge sort of comes in so if you're sort of saying we're going to be going for several months then that that becomes a challenge um, that could be a really interesting area to give people that that flexibility and freedom I mean you know having a vibrant um, restaurant bar cultural scene to a city is, is so vital and you you've seen that in Sydney like um, you know they, they just shut the down laws. for mm. years and now they're finally coming back and we're looking at what Uber Eats is doing to our restaurants, you know. It's like we can't come at them from all angles. Mm -hmm. Maybe if anyone from Auckland Council is listening, they will give us a break. Yeah. 
Are we going to uh, mention the stuff story or... Guys, <laughs> we can cut this out if we're not. No. Alice has made a note, but... Um, yeah, we can, t- we can talk about it. It's... So what... Earlier this week, there was a story published about your unique licence that uh, has allowed you to sell alcohol here. What, what, what happened and why was it a problem? Um, you know, we, we had a reporter from Stuff... Um, come across and have a try have a chat to, to Sammy and I think basically decided um, that they had a they had a great story that they could uncover that we we had set up an illicit bar under the guise of a market cultural pop-up which as we've just spent the last 30 40 minutes discussing is exactly what we've been doing since day one um, I think the thing which was quite interesting about this is you know we never really got a a chance to actually talk about what we're doing we never really asked about what we were doing they just looked at the name of the license looked inside and said this this is not what we think it is and ran a story on it i think the inference as well that it was intentionally leveraged as some sort of loophole or whatever it is they were trying to say is really frustrating that you didn't get to speak to it isn't it i think you know Garage Project submitted the license. We're a brewery. There's no, there's no, you know, all the sample menus and events we provided with the license, you know, we are setting up a venue for people to come and enjoy our products, yeah. which is beer and wine. Uh, you know. I actually, I'm actually going to be like, try find a more culturally accepting space than Hyderabad the Hotel right now, where you have such a diverse mix of races and cultures and in, in, in one space mm, with, with smiles from little children to just like all ages all ethnicities mm. uh, where everyone's welcome i know with um liquor licensing the sale and supply of the liquor act is worded in a way that isn't particularly apt for what we're doing now so potentially it's a case of that as well and, and I, it would be helpful for all of us yeah, that it was updated and i will say i think auckland council have actually been really good through this yeah. I mean, um, yeah, they have an obligation to respond, of course. But you know, they they were put under a huge amount of pressure um, by a media organisation looking for a story and outcome. Are you going to sue these people? Are you taking them to court? Are you going to find them? Were but you were you trying to find an easier way to do? No, do run this and operate this, or was it a true representation of what the? No, I think I mean probably guilt a little little guilty of being maybe too fanciful in in the wording um uh, but you know we're probably just <coughs> caught up in the excitement of of what we're, we're doing with hyderabad and in the planning stages um but yeah you know um i think if you look through everything we submitted our intentions of what we we're doing is exactly what's happening next door mm-hmm. and i think it's you know we want to be doing music we want to be having um events and i think it's it's sort of hard for some to say this is cultural this is not in this in this space um you know the funny thing for those of you who aren't familiar with auckland or this area is that stuff is directly across the road from the hyderabad (laughs) hotel so i'm sure a lot of uh stuff stuff would i used to work at stuff i would have been absolutely stoked when that opened like well, we we do find a lot of them here. It must be. Oh, on I would have been gone every day. Yeah, yeah. So unhelpful. I wonder now. if that reporter's now public enemy number one. At Maybe Scott. it was just a really slow news day, and they were looking out the window, and they're like, 
fuck it, let's go check out the license. Yeah. But has it been going well? It's been going great. Like, it's, yeah. It's just absolutely crazy. Um, it, just, it just smiles on people's faces and it's just like, it's just so much fun. And Wicked. That's yeah. really funny because when I walked into the bar, um, Everyone was laughing and like having a good time, spread out on the rickety pool lounges outside, which are very funny. Um, it's just a space that people seem really excited to be in. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely struck a chord, and word is spreading. Um, I think from our side, we're we're just stoked to have Sammy as a partner in it. And who was know, more excited to work with who? That you know, because just before Sammy started interviewing Joss and. You know, we know he's a fanboy, but he's a legend. <laughs> Tell us about your bromance. In his own right. No, I think I think um, the feelings are mutual. I think we've had long-standing history oh, together now. Really, really cute. Uh, it was great getting Sammy down for a brew day. Pete had an absolute blast hanging out and brewing with Sammy, and so no, it's it's been great. And I think also what's really great is we've got um, GP team and the Sacha team working together, and they're having a lot of fun. They're working their asses off. Um, we've had some great collaborators like Matt Smith help on the, the build. Um, uh, Who's Matt? Uh, he's one of our longtime collaborators for our cellar door and physical spaces. Uh, you know, like Rob he Wilkinson the, um, runs our Christ venues. Place, Matt, Matt also yep. is the creator of, creator of Beer Beer. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Wow. Did the, the design work. Um, oh, select, slaved over the, yeah. the, the beer type. Yeah. Which um, originally we've got we've got a few of the original designs. Um, You're happy with the one that he rolled with? Yeah, it was it was like it was an exhaustive process. It was originally going to be called Lager as well. So there's like oh, the, yeah. you know, like if you look in the art art of beer book we put out last year, you can see all the actual page of beer and lager. Type. I was thinking <laughs> that before when it seemed like you were reluctant to indulge Sammy on his biryani pun because the beer beer itself is an example of that and your names are kind of um the names of your beers are such a strong communicator that you're not taking yourselves too seriously i think because you know the craft beer industry does have a reputation at times for getting super academic on things so i think for us um we try for i mean there's some terrible beer pun oh my god you go to beer and look and i love puns but there's just yeah. and just like repeating the same shit. Over I think and over again. I think we always you know you know be the change you want to see and yeah. <laughs> um, it's like tone down the puns and then respect respect people's IP. There's just a lot of people really playing fast and loose with IP at the moment. Can you yeah. elaborate on that? Um, you know, there's um, I mean there's dedicated Instagram pages for it around the world um, looking at you know people putting out just literally taking Star Wars art or Simpsons yeah. art or um, you know char- just incredibly known characters and putting out a beer with it um, and people are getting cracked down on now yeah. so you know breweries in America have actually been put out of business after wow. doing beers based on the Breaking Bad characters wow. yeah. And, yeah. You know, I guess at the end of the day you've got to bring some new new ideas to the table and that's what's exciting for people um that's what pushes the art forward i've got a couple of questions what's the salt on the rim of this glass it's so good um so, so good. that is a well i guess a masala blend um mm. so the slushies uh francesco from gg yeah um he helped with the flavor profile of it but then um salt just really helps balance out 
mm. the acidity from the mango and um, Such a the chili bag. just kind of mix with the, mixes with it. Very nice. And then the food, Sammy, can you run us through? So we basically just tasted, what, half the menu? <laughs> I know I'm full and I was starving uh, when I got here. Sweet. Um, so as I said before, we had the biryani. So yeah. that was the mutton biryani. So even though I say mutton, all through India, when we say mutton, it's actually goat. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than sheep, which is... Older. Older. <laughs> yeah. Was um, that goat or old sheep? That was goat. Yeah. So Mutton's we, we, older than a year old for a lamb, isn't it? It goes lamb, hogget, mutton? Mutton, not too sure. Yeah. I just know it, it tastes good. It's a goat. <laughs> so this is goat. <laughs> that's goat. So rather than saying goat biryani, uh, so we'll say goat curry because that's accepted like norms for what you would say, but you would never say a goat biryani. You would always call it a mutton biryani okay. in Hyderabad. What's, um, what's goat's flavour profile? It's a lot gamier. It's a lot it's, um, it's, it's richer and chewier. Close, close-ish to lamb though. I mean, yeah, I can see mm. that why people would mix them up. Um, but like again, if you just bomb it with spices and you cook it properly, um, you don't get that gamey meatiness. But it's just like it just all amalgamates into this really nice flavor. Because kind of what it didn't have now that I realize in retrospect is that wool shed flavor that um, what we call mutton has. Yeah, mm. yeah. That it was closer to lamb than what we would think mutton or hogget tastes. Yum. Like, so you're saying it was goat dressed up as lamb. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and such a treat because it's like a little surprise on the bottom. Yeah. Um, we'll find that out Alice when we come to your mother's <laughs> biryani demonstration. Yeah. Um, and then you have the papri cha. So most of Auckland's um, pretty familiar with dai pori. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like you should spend some time on this. I've eaten um, about four million of them in my lifetime. Yeah, so that, that's actually... Um, We've, we've made over 4 million pieces in the last 20 well, I years. I yeah. Most yeah. Of if people say satya, someone will say dahi puri, oh. like within a few minutes. So um, Cool, you're mixing it up. And then, um, so uh, papricha is kind of like smashed, smashed dahi puri. So, um, but the cracker we use is slightly different. It has um, caraway seeds in the cracker. Yeah. And so dahi puri doesn't really have caraway seeds. And the pastry in, uh, in papricha is a lot more flakier. Um, but same... Yogurt, same tamarind uh, chutney? Uh, no, so in Daipuri, uh, the one we have in traditional satya, it's not sweetened. Yeah. Uh, but in papri chaat, we sweeten it and we put a little bit of um, kala namak, which is black salt. Okay. Um, or a volcanic black ash salt. So it has like that sulfuric tang to it. Yeah, cool. Um, Indians really, really love it. So it's kind of a bit of an acquired flavor and that's um, it's one of the key components for a papri chaat. That flavor is so interesting to me because it... It comes on your nose first, and it's unpleasant. And then through all those flavors, it's so beautiful and like round and almost smoky. I, I love that flavor. It's it's it's. I find it like super umami, almost like um, kind of MSG as well. Is where it's just mm, like just a, a, a umami flavor, but it's like a, a different different style of umami. Sophie's uh, initials are MSG, Madeline oh, Sophie. Which is Gilmore. apt, because I'm not afraid of a bit of MSG. Well, I just don't understand why people are afraid of MSG. Like, it's just... They're missing yeah. out. I, I was like... Well, it's the same bullshit as the reason why people are afraid of, like, vaccination, is it's completely discredited uh, information about... The only problem with MSG is that it makes you thirsty, so it's all good if you've got a drink. Mm. Absolutely. <laughs> mm, um... Uh, samosas, like proper. That was the yeah. best samosa I think I've ever oh, eaten in my life. Explain a proper samosa. 
the use of good spices, um, just getting the balance right, and the textural component from what's inside the filling to the pastry, where it's crisp on the outside but still flaky, and then it's not drying your mouth out just with the flaky pastry, but then you bite into it and you've got all the filling inside contrasting that. And um, we always serve our samosas with a little bit of tamarind chutney to kind of offset the spice with a little bit of sweet, the sweetness as well. So like salty, sweet, like all mm, the, the flavors is kind of contrasting and balancing. Do you have those giant cauldrons of oil for deep frying out the back? Or is it more like um, traditional so whiskey? I guess, uh, I, I guess we um, kind of touch with uh, the council and uh, I guess OSH regulations. We are not allowed to do that. So. Oh. <laughs> On the streets of India, you'll see these amazing like giant cauldrons of boiling hot oil, just samosas being stirred mm, through. Delicious. So yeah, it no. was almost like a um, Indian version of a kiwi meat pie, like a small one. It's got the thick. That's quite thick pastry for a samosa. But it's crispy on the outside and then soft on the inside. And then there's peas and little cubed potatoes inside. So it's like the different texture. And it had like a sauce as well. Oh, well, this is a tamarind chutney. We make it. It's a tamarind baked chutney. Is, no, no. Inside, oh, it's, um, Inside, it's just... So you almost make like a dry curry. Yeah. And you stuff it inside the pastry. Yeah. So the curry's completely cooked. But maybe it's steamed. And then, so yeah, and then, yeah, moist. steams and just becomes, yeah, moist. So it's like balance of textures and contrasting flavors is... Um, one of the key components to Indian cuisine. Yeah. Well, I guess every cuisine, yeah. Um, so I guess I'll speak about one more dish you don't really find often is the pav bhaji. Mm. So we also do a meat equivalent, which is called kima pao. Um, so every city has its own take on it. And um, all it is essentially, the pav is um, a bread, which has been fried. So like a crusty bread, which has been fried in ghee. And then you have the either the kima or the bhaji, which is the curry, and you just, it's essentially mince on toast, but like Indian style, and everyone has their own equivalents of it. Um, it is it's so lowbrow that most menus don't have it, but it's one of my favorite foods. And so I was just like, re- and the it's really hydra- yum. yeah, the it's so version good. is so good, like packed full of spices. Could eat that every day. And kind of a um, almost like a gluey potato, not a really dry yeah fluffy one yeah uh, it's got a whole bunch of veggies in there actually yeah oh and the bread it's just yeah it's mm. so, so it's you're using a like a slider bun yeah it's got ghee on it yeah and just we just kind of fry it pan fry it honestly everything was so delicious and then the lamb curry and the chicken curry mm. that we had what are they called so we know how all right to order so them. um we're changing the menu weekly okay um and the curry, so in India, to feed the masses, you have massive food messes, right? And um, these food messes, you have people sitting in rows, and you have people standing behind the chair. So as soon as someone's done dining, they leave, and the next person goes and uh, takes their place. And it's all you can, uh, most, a lot of them, they're all you can eat for a really minimal amount of um, money. But the flavor, if you can, if you're immune system is good enough to handle it yeah. <laughs> um, the flavor is amazing yeah. it's food for the people just made with love like high impact full flavor yeah and so we want I, well, I, I guess wanted to create that style of cuisine which was food for the people over here so it was the andhra chicken curry so andhra is a state and a chicken curry which comes from that so like a generic chicken curry from 
one of the states in South India. Yeah, um, with chicken thighs in it. It's yeah, just chicken thighs in it. So the yeah. fat melts through, and that's what gives you the the richness rather than adding cream and sugar. Yeah. And um, the the lamb curry you guys had was a lamb korma, right? Yeah. So it was a lamb. Lamb. Was yeah, it no, no. It was it, so we decided to do a lamb one uh, because we've been for the first two weeks we did got curries um, and we wanted to showcase. Um, well, on lamb, which is really yum. Yeah, and, um, and so rather than putting, again, in the korma, rather than putting cream and um, sugar, um, it's the marrow which thickens it. Yeah. And um, poppy seeds, uh, which gives you that nutty kind of flavor profile. Poppy seeds. Yeah. And if you go if you go further south, you can add coconut cream to thicken it. Um, but from Hyderabad, it's more of a poppy seed kind of base. Uh, and, nice. cashew, and, and And nuts to... Also get that that richness throughout. And is that dal um, got lots of cream in it? Because it's, it's got lots bloody of ghee delicious. and lots of cream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like honestly no secret that the best food is the food that's full of. Yeah. So the, the dal makhani is very traditionally North Indian. Um, it's got so tomato base, is it? It has tomatoes in it, but um, onion, tomatoes, and garlic and ginger are the base to most Indian cuisine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's about it, really. What a treat. Thank you so much. One thing I want to touch on before we finish up is some plaudits Garage Project has received recently, which I know you don't do this stuff for uh, global recognition, but to be rated in the top 100 breweries in the world, is that right? Yep. By who? Uh, right there. Is that, that must feel validating more than you know just a little certificate yeah you know i think um i mean awards i think people will say oh, i don't care about awards but when you receive them they're always like yes yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't give it back when you get one though, um, but you know no it's i think it's great and the thing the really cool thing about the rate beer one is it is from um a vast like the, the number one beer rating website in the world so it's all Consumer. Drink, consumer drinking. Mm. So there's 33,000 breweries on there. There's like 600,000 plus beers. There you go. There's your um, raving fans. They're all voting for you. So we got we got some great ones. Like we we had three beers in the top 100 best beers of last year. Nice. Uh, what were they? Uh, so Party and Bullshit, Coxwain's Courage, and Unconditional Love. Um, beers. We had... Uh, Whitaker's Chocolate Beer, I guess, is a lag from the, the ratings, but... Um, that was in the in the top three best flavored stouts in the world. Mm. Um, but no, I, I think it's pretty cool. I think the um, maybe the, the food food world analogy there, which I think is interesting, is it's like the San Pellegrino um, top fifty best. Mm. It's quite hard, I think, down this part of the world. Like those that ranking site is very North America, Europe, UK heavy. Um, and so we were the only brewery in the Southern Hemisphere. Wow. That's not to say, you know, we're the best, blah, blah, blah. It's like there's awesome breweries down here as well, but the we're only starting, I think, to get the recognition and the awareness. Beer tourism's clicking in. People from those countries who rate a lot, traveling down, drinking the beers, getting exposed to them. So I think you'll see more and more breweries down this part of the world starting to get the recognition they deserve. Mm. Because our hops are certainly getting that as well, right? Yep. So, you know, we we have um, breweries from all over the world wanting our hops and 
you know, um, coming down for them. So on the top 100 list um, for the Harpy Festival and Symposium we've got next month, end of very end of March, early April, uh, 16 of the breweries on that list, including the number one, the number three, the number seven, eight, nine. They're all coming down to Nelson. They're coming down to Wellington um, to, to, to get the hops that they want and to pour their beer and wellies in at our festival. So It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, I guess from a consumer perspective, uh, going to Happy last year, tasting some of those number ones or off like the top hundreds of the world um new zealand makes some amazing beer and it's like on par with those guys which Shit, yeah. i was just blown away with i was just like holy crap Absolutely. i was just like yeah we we've been invited to um, festivals overseas now increasingly and we we get to sort of turn up and, and sort of rub shoulders with those breweries and we we see that our beers um really hold up um, you know, hold their own, uh, and in some ways, we know we're doing things in a completely different, uh, more interesting way. It's kind of an unassuming Kiwi thing to think they wouldn't be world class. I mean, to me, I'm like, of course they are. <laughs> it's obvious that you'd take them over there and they'd stand up next to that. But you know, I think that sometimes we're not as confident as we should be. Our wine obviously made a big impact on the global stage quite quickly, and you know, in a short time for the history if you measure it in wine scale and it's, and it's really cool to see um, our beer starting to, to do the same. I think I think sort of the, the, the challenge is, you know, the wine can travel so easily yes. whereas for beer we need people to travel here to mm. really experience it at its best. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, and, you know, I think that that is why you're saying, I mean, for, for Harpy we, we have hundreds of people flying over from Australia. We've got people flying in from Asia for it. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it is becoming a sort of a, a, a global travel reason is to go visit breweries and to go to sort of um, cities and countries that have something interesting mm. around the beer. Has Harpy been um, affected by coronavirus? Oh, yeah. Um, well, it's maybe a little early to say. I mean, the brewery list... For us at the moment is um, very heavily North America, um, UK, and we have one brewery from Hong Kong. So we'll see. Um, I think maybe a little early to say. But mm. And are they going to go down to for hop harvest? Yeah. So all cool. the all the breweries come down to, to sort of look at the hops. It's 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 in the same way of moving hops away from being a commodity crop. Mm. Um, you know. Um, uh, hops are grown across um, a vast number of farms in, in Nelson, you know, 20 plus farms, mm. um, you know, picked at different times, grown in different ways, dried in different ways, and have, has a big impact on flavour. And so uh, now we're getting to a point where you, you, you're looking at the specific farms. When was that hop picked? Was it early? Mm. Was it late? In the same way that a, a top chef or someone interested in spice or flavour and winemakers absolutely you know would would go and get there and and want to be there and pick pick the produce and the fruit that they're getting and control it if they can yeah i mean the analogy i've always used is it's not like we have the new zealand sauvignon blanc company and everyone gets their amalgamated sauv blanc must and yeah turns up with their their tanker and quite embarrassing that's how we were represented for Um, ages but you know that's that's kind of how hops for a long time were were treated as a, as a mm. commodity crop, and that's changing now. 
And does that represent a really awesome export opportunity? I know MPI is working with you yep. to, to, to build that. Absolutely. And I think for us, it's about the growth hand-in-hand hand of hop farming, hop industry, and craft beer in New Zealand. So we want the two to raise together. Um, we didn't grow the New Zealand wine industry by supporting and funding contract grape growers. It was a combination of winemakers, wineries, and grape growers. Mm. And we need the same thing for hops and beer. So one of the big hopes we have for, for Harpy is that we have these amazing breweries coming down from around the world. Um, and the symposium is an opportunity for New Zealand breweries to just to hang out, chat, mm. network, learn, make friends. Maybe they'll get invited back to a cool festival overseas, help raise their profile. Maybe they'll learn something, do a collaboration. You know, I think. Kind of seems like um, there's such a greater understanding now of diversity breeding a better end result or collaboration breeding a better end result. Like It's just cool to see even people from different industries working together, like you say, like it's not, there's no point in one part of the equation succeeding without the others really because it doesn't work. it's just that novel, novel concept of breeding and growing for flavour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> shocking as it yeah, is yeah. versus, you know, weight and agronomics and, yeah. and obviously, you know, within reason these things have to be taken into account. Um, but yeah, I think you're right across the board for, you know, have got amazing things happening, um, you know, Blue Hill Farms up in, up in New York, and yeah, um, you know, I think it's the same thing starting to happen for hops, in particular. Cool. Um, you know, there's work happening in New Zealand on creating very novel, unique grape finds, but they're struggling to get uptake because it's so hard to, you know, to, to commit Is Dan to Dan Barber in the hops game? Um, no, but it'd be fantastic to, <laughs> to work on it with a, with he'd a project. Love, he'd love yeah. it, wouldn't he? Have any hop farms started doing um, like cellar doors and what? vineyards do where you can where there's a tourism opportunity in the farm itself no i think um the challenge is that the harvest is a very hectic frenetic window mm-hmm. um it sort of all comes in in about four weeks five weeks so they're picking now they've been picking this week and they'll run oh, through to the end of march yeah um and it's just it's just a, a sort of massive amount of energy they run all hours um, but if you do get a chance to go see mountains of freshly picked, kilns, dried hops, it's incredible. I'm going down so- this year. You would, your little bear frother. It's yeah. <laughs> exciting. On March 17, all going to plan. On St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, with Max, weirdly. But you know the date of St. Patrick's Day? I never know that. He's a bear company. Yeah, right, but that's impressive. I knew that. Did you? Yeah. Where have I been? Alice is a beer drinker. Yeah. Why don't you know? It's new. It's not a beer thing. It's just Guinness. Well, you drink a lot of, <laughs> yeah. a lot of beer on St. Patrick's Day. Right. Any old liquor thing. So oh. did the wine harvest beers kind of coincide with hop harvest as well? Like, is yeah. that was that... What are those beers? So, um, we're... Uh, our brewery and, and many other breweries now are starting to play around with these hybrids. So, um, you know, using, using grapes... In, in a beer base um, in Italy they're becoming very popular um, Onio, Onio beer, wine beer um, so whether it's a co-fermentation from the wild yeast from the grapes whether you're re-fermenting on, on the grapes um, or you're just using them as a fruit addition I mean 2012, 20, 2013 we did our first 
yeah. Sauvignon Blanc, um, Nelson Sauvignon Pilsner, and Pinot Noir, and Rosé beers, and, and that's really just a fruit source in, in some ways, but um, where the interesting things can come from are these spontaneous wild ferments where you're kicking it off from, from crushed grapes, yeah. adding beer. So we'll be, we'll be doing some of those next week, actually. We've got our first, um, first fruit coming in. Cool. It's such a good opportunity with your wild workshop having, you know, you're making wine there, so why not Absolutely. mix it with beer? Isn't it, there's some issues about what you can call it? Can you, I remember reading a Michael Donaldson piece, isn't it like, can you call it beer or? It, it needs to be predominantly grain based. So it yeah. has to be at least 51% mm-hmm. sugar source from grain. Um, and you can't, you need to be adding sort of um, grapes, unfermented fruit. In yeah. the same way that we just received in these beautiful Nelson raspberries. Right. Or we've yeah. just received in. Um, Central Otago cherries. Mm. We're going to get in some some Martinborough Pinot, yeah. or we're going to get in some Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc. Um, but we're going to co-ferment it as a as a fruit, yeah. like a fruit beer. Mm. Um, the very first one we did way back in the day, we had MPI call us up pretty excited because they're like, oh, "Got you, you know, <laughs> yeah. poured Sauvignon Blanc into your beer, and you can't do that." Like, right. Oh, it's a Pilsner <laughs> that's been fermented with some Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. <laughs> Great juice. juice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Love so. the fun police and the government. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was, yeah. There have been other times where they like, slapped us on the wrist. But, right, so. yeah. Do you guys have quite a bit of issues with NPR? Um, no, I mean, they're, they're a partner of ours in the, in the hospital. <laughs> 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 it sounds like a hospital pass. <laughs> no, uh, the, the only, only, only reason I ask is, um, so I, uh, I have a TFO, and so... Um, I get every couple of years, I get trained up on what MPI do and everything. Yeah. It's just like, it's insane how how tiny their team is and how little funding they have to protect all of what New Zealand does. And yeah. It's just like, it's just crazy. And it's yeah. such an important part of um, the country's it's like, so huge. survival. Yeah. I don't understand why they don't get more funding to do what they do to protect what is home. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we all have to disappear now. I think both Sophie and I have to go and feed our children uh, after having been fed so well by Sammy. Thank you both for your time. It's so exciting to see what you guys are doing. It seems like you have so much fun in your jobs, you know, whether it's making beer with fresh raspberries and cherries from South Otago or bringing your mum's food to, to life in your own way at the Hyderabad Hotel. So keep doing what you're doing we really appreciate it it's fun fun to have you in our city and for those of us that have new babies can we get takeaway food here absolutely excellent can you feed your babies curry yeah absolutely she's already on it she's only why not 11 weeks old she's your daughter she should you know sophie's joking what over 1.3 billion people feed their babies exactly (laughs) Exactly. she's climatizing to all sorts of food via breast milk Cool. Thank cool. you so much, Thanks, everyone. Guys. Cool. Come Thanks, down guys. before it's too late. Yes, come yeah. down to Hyderabad. Pollen Street. What number? 42. 42 Pollen Street. Yeah. Opposite stuff. Opposite stuff. <laughs> Wave up at them. Such a cool uh, URL, that one. Eh? Stuff.co.nz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, team. Thank you. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, Alice. Bye.
Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.